Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. We continue in the series this morning uh, based in the book of True Faced, taking off your mask. Phil is uh, in Tennessee. He and Roan were both supposed to be, Roan is, uh, at a conference for counselors this week. Phil was supposed to be there. Uh, his sister was unable to take care of their dad this week, and so he has diverted and gone to Tennessee to be with his dad for a few days to help take care of him. So keep him in your prayers if you would. So, taking off the mask, Ben Derrick is with us this morning. What a what a blessing he will be, I know. Guys, um, you know, part of part of being a, a man is confessing and confessional. And I've got a confession to make. Ironic that it's in uh this particular series of removing the mask. But last week, uh, I stood before you and I stumbled and I stuttered and I tried to do the best I could as an anxious dad uh, whose son and daughter-in-law were at the hospital delivering, hopefully, our third grandchild, grandson. He's particularly special because my daughter-in-law lost her dad a year and a half ago. She's a middle daughter of three daughters. She and her dad were very, very close. Alan Barnes was his name. Alan was a marathon runner, uh, competed in Ironman competitions, triathlons, in phenomenal health, uh, trained three days a week, ran on Tuesdays and Thursdays, seven or eight miles. And on Saturday was his long day, he'd run 12 or 15 miles. They had gone to uh, Starkville for a wedding and uh, Alan and his wife were keeping our two grandchildren this particular weekend, November of 20. And uh, Alan did his 12 mile run on Saturday, came back and reported his wife, his heart rate and conditions and everything looked great. Um, spent the afternoon with his wife and our two grandkids and then he returned to his home to sleep. Well, he has back issues, sleep on their bed. And Logan's mom went over Sunday on her 60th birthday to find her husband dead in the bed died of a massive heart attack in his sleep. So Logan, my daughter-in-law, decided to name this son after her dad, William Barlow. She went in uh, Wednesday afternoon for her regular weekly visit to the doctor. And the doctor said, yeah, it's time. We're gonna go ahead and admit you. And so she went in about three o'clock Wednesday afternoon and uh, I thought delivering a third child would be rather quick. And so by seven o'clock last week on Thursday, I stood very anxious before you because things weren't progressing very well and uh, were very timely. And I was nervous. I was nervous for her. I was nervous because I knew what this child meant to her, naming him after her dad. Uh, and I'm glad to report that after a lengthy labor period, um, pushing and stopping and pushing and stopping. He was born at 2.30 Thursday afternoon while I sat with Rome, got the message. And, you know, this day in time with COVID, when families can't be at the hospital, you just, it, it, it's, it's tough. You know, I was talking to another dad today about his daughter this morning. Um, when you're sitting on the sideline and you can't do something, you can't fix it, you can't be there, you can't hold their hand, it's hard. So I confess that last week I had on a mask 
not a mask of shame, but a mask because I'd been asked just to kind of keep this personal and private for them until it was their time to share. So I share with you today the joy of having a third grandchild, second grandson, tickled to death. So I'm coming in this morning and I'm listening to a song where the artist says, God, let your will be done. Let your will be done. I wonder how many of us think about that. Do we really need to give God permission for his will to be done? We might have that backwards. I think the real question is, can I accept God's will? Can I be joyful in the time of anxiety? Can I be joyful in the time of hurt and sorrow and pain? Can I accept what God has for me? Knowing that what I'm facing may be hurtful, it may be painful. Can I look with anticipation at what else he has for me? Any good father wants well for their child. Our heavenly father is the same. Heavenly father, we come before you this morning, humbly, with open hearts, open ears. God, we don't give you permission for your will. We ask that you do your work in us. You open our hearts. Make us pliable, Lord. Make us yield to you. May we be thankful for the changes that you cause in us. May we be thankful for circumstances, even when they're uncomfortable. Lord, I ask that you be with Phil and Ron as they travel and take care of family. I ask that you be with Ben this morning when he shares his message. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Joe. Good morning, gentlemen. Let me ask you to do something for me. If you're a writer, you've got your journal. I want you to go ahead and pull that out. We're going to start kind of in typical men's roundtable fashion and uh, have some questions and some music. But I want you to practice being aware emotionally as you listen to this song and as you watch this video. A couple of things to send you in the right direction. I want you to notice how you're going to be captivated by story. The song is a story. The best ones are, all right? I want you to notice how you're captivated by story, and I want you to start priming the pump, engaging with your emotions, and answer the question over the song as you're listening to it. How does it make you feel? How is this song making you feel? All right, it's a story of father and son. As we know, Father's Day is on its way. And we're going to be talking a lot about that today, a lot about that today, okay? You guys ready for this? Yes. All right, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things today that are uh, rub against the grain of the masculine heart. Unfortunately, in our fallen world, I want you to be present and I want you to be vocal. That second one is difficult, isn't it? Adam was there, but he kept his mouth shut. And guess what? We've been doing it ever since. So I want to ask you to be present. I'm going to ask you to be vocal. Fair warning, as we answer these three questions, you're going to get about three minutes of question after this uh, song that you listen to. You're going to get about three minutes to answer. And then I'm going to ask for some of you to be brave and to be vocal with what you're writing down, okay? To be brave and vocal. You guys here for this? Yep. This could probably be the most important hour you've got all week, okay? I just wanna let you know that. Perk your ears up a little bit. This is gonna be the most important hour that you experience this week. That's a big promise, isn't it? Yep. 
Yeah, I love delivering on those promises. I'm hopeful. All right, let's pay attention to the song. Took my first breath where the muddy grasses spills into the Gulf of Mexico where the skyline's colored by chemical plants that put bread on the table of the working man where the working man does his best to provide safety and shelter for kids and a wife giving a little of a soul every day making overtime the wolves away Spilling poison in the Galveston Bay Well, the liquid fire filled his lungs And his eyes silenced anymore Cries cold in the green With death stinging pain He fought like hell to keep the wolves away
How about that? So, my proposal to you this morning is no matter where your backstory is or what your relationship with your father has been, now it's your turn. It's your turn. Are you keeping the wolves away? Are you taking your spot? What sort of world is William going to grow up in? Will he have a crease in the universe that is masculine that can teach him the ways? And for every William, there's another William, right? All right, you ready for your questions this morning? Yeah. Ready to engage? All right. I'm a, I'm a pretty vocal guy, also very insecure. So when I ask a question, I love to hear back from you. Are you ready to engage, gentlemen? Yes. All right, three questions. We get a few minutes to answer each. These are tough questions. I will not apologize. They're tough questions. Where have you used blame, shame, or anger to avoid growth? Don't be scared of the silence and don't be scared of your own heart. For you Bible guys, we're going to jot this down as you come back to these. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Great place to dig with that question. Ready for two? Yes. Yes? We can stay longer. You ready for two? All right. Where have you pretended something to be true in your life that your experience denies? Where have you separated from reality? Where are you Peter Panning? Yes, it is getting warm. I'm trying to keep Phil and Ron from asking me to do this anymore. <laughs> right. Work very hard to kill back that sense of judgment, 
shame, blame, or anger. Those are the enemy's tricks to keep you from investigating your own soul. Just to tamp that a little bit as you're writing, we have all pretended something to be true in our lives that our experience has denied. You are safe here to answer this question honestly. For all you Bible guys that like to roll back on Thursdays and review this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Good guide for you to dig in. Okay, ready for three? Largest question of the morning. How did you get here? This is not a question of geography. How did you get here? Implication of the question, you must know where you are. Maybe you should back up and ask that if you can't get there. How did you get here? What decisions, events, interruptions have led you to this moment? Most of us have a long-term shame memory, short-term spiritual memory. Thirty more seconds. Verse for question three, Galatians chapter six, verses seven and eight. I'm going to call you to do a lot of noticing this morning because I think it's what men are most in need of is awareness. We are so used to filing into rooms in elementary school and listening to instructions. Chaos reigns inside, but nobody's moving our clip down. We get a gold star. Our mom's happy when we get home with our PB&J. We just sit in that posture for the rest of our adult lives, only we trade mom and teacher for wife. So I would ask you today, although we're in rows, we're in like this education environment, I want you to stretch those awareness muscles to be aware of what's going on. And I'll just call some of that out. Did you notice how awkward it was for the morning to be rolling along and then we stop and there's silence? And then rather than just listening and consuming, you were forced to investigate. That's the experience with these questions often, isn't it? Some of you are in a straight line panic, and I'm just going to point at you and say, hey, what'd you put for question two? Right? I, I wouldn't do that to you because it's going to take your courage and bravery to speak up in a room where maybe you're not known. Okay? So let's roll back, give some opportunity um, to answer question one. What was your answer to question one?
Anybody? Please do. I shared with my family uh, a couple of years ago that I think all my life and even today, but the awareness of his financial anxiety. I said, you know, that was uh, a regular occurrence when I would see the credit card bill or a bill come in and I would, you know, I would get angry, uh, you know, and just start the blame and the shame that you guys are spending too much. And, you know, that cycle would continue over and over and over again. And then I realized that was a learned behavior that I grew up with that was never talked about. It was the 10,000 pound elephant in the room. Even that video kind of talks about it. You know, you always feel like you're a few months away from being all shut down, you know. And mm -hmm. Anyway, I think the awareness I have realized and Rome said a statement once he said uh you know money's kind of like you never really can hold it goes in one hand out the other you never can really have no matter how much you have you can't really have enough to say I'm peaceful and stay safe mm. so I'm sort of taking a different approach to that and not doing that a trigger it's a trigger you know this is just going off yeah thank you for sharing thank you for your honesty that's what it looks like i was uh, closing the door to my truck outside in this parking lot and i said god you know i trust you with my eternity but i'm this this truck notes on me how ridiculous does that sound man but i believe it every day good anyone else yeah i would say for me it's uh Have I not used <laughs> money? Very short but it says a lot, doesn't it? Thank you for your honesty. I wrote these questions, so I put those words in there based on my own story. Blame, shame, and anger. We are good at those, aren't we? All right, I don't want to talk over you. Any other? Any other brave men? For me, I take it straight back to the root, what I believe is the root. Because I have sought all my life for my dad to prove it. And I have tried every which way, whether it's grades, activities, service, work, money, clothes, houses, cars. Never. Never. Hmm. Uh, and that's all on me. Because he gave me, I, I love my father. He's with Jesus. My father taught me to go to church. My father taught me to pray. My father taught me many, many things. But why did I keep trying to please him in all these other areas? I haven't figured out that answer yet. Hmm. When you do, will you will you send me a text? <laughs> I get it. Ditto. Yeah, I see that hand. Can I have another? That's right. How do we as men make the transition from performance based acceptance to acceptance based performance? If we if we yeah yeah if we could figure that out, we would we we could accomplish a lot. 
That was question one, gentlemen. Question one. Question two. Don't worry, I banked in. We're going to get out of here on time. I banked in some time for this. Where are you, Peter Panning? Where are you pretending? Glad you're here. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I, I found my heart like wanting to know what came after that sentence. Did you guys experience that? He's not as consistent as he thinks or believes that he is. Sounds familiar. I want to know more, but I get it. I don't have to know more. Yes, I get it. I get it. Fantastic. Thank you for your courage. My codependence. As a man, I like to fix it. Okay. And for family members that are victims, it's easy to fall into that codependent role. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I can fix it. I'll answer uh, number one and two. Okay. Because I'm blaming my family for the past to shame myself because of the anger because I'm not them. So because of that, I run to fantasy to avoid my life because I can't make it to what I think it should be. I should all of them. I was trying to be so spiritually serious and I, that last statement got me. I love it. Yeah. It's a lot of awareness. You've done some work, sir. Fantasy feels so good, doesn't it? It's a part of that design. Send us into that cycle. Straight to ritual, ends up in shame, and here we go again. It's honest. Thank you for your courage. I don't want to talk over you anymore. Yeah. For me, and I want to share this with you guys, but sometimes these things we have to figure out on our own. Asking for help is not easy. And in actuality, we all want to. Right? When I got saved right before I came to church at all, I was always thinking, if I couldn't figure it out, if I couldn't do anything, but when God humbled me, Showed me who I really was. Got blown on a freaking face. And I still have that, that fleshly, okay, I gotta do more to get back. But as I've gotten older, I've learned that it, it takes a village, right? We need each other, we need mentors, we need counselors, we need a wise family. And it's okay to ask for help, right? It's okay to ask for help. Don't sit on the sidelines and you can't do it all. It's honest. Thank you. Yeah, two questions we learned not to ask as grown men. Will you come out and play? And can you help me? Those disappear, they vanish. We're the worst for it. 
me the problem has always been that I took a look at the people ahead of me and they were pissed off that they weren't doing what I thought things were going to be. And as I grew up, I figured I had to try to figure out how to keep it other people at bay, but I had no clear guidance. Trying to figure out how God worked for me then. I mean, but reading the Bible and thinking about people in the Bible and because how do you follow these people? Uh, someone was telling me about it, uh, Samuel was David's guy and he talked to, to his son Solomon and said, Can these people need to be healed? Let's figure it out. And it's like, oh. Yeah. So I still think in, in that structure where it's like, I'm not as angry as they used to be, but I still can't figure out why things are the way they are. Mm. Boy, that's honest. You feel the temperature in the room changing just, just a touch? Yeah. That's intimacy. That's resonating. That's hearing our story in another man's. You're not going to get that through social media or your iPhone or through more biblical instruction. They just feel different. All right. How did you get here? Obviously a long answer for most of us. Anything rise to the surface for any of you? How did you get here? Uh, for me, I mean, especially if you go back and read the, the verses you said, you know, Galatians, and it, it talks about uh, a man reaps what he sows. And whatever he sows to please the flesh, the flesh will reap destruction. And uh, for me, you know, when I type back that verse, I, I think about the uh, first many years of my life, you know, I, I basically reaped destruction. Mm. And uh, and it did that for many years. And, uh, and, and you know, that's what uh, just, just recently have I come to the revelation that uh, I can't do it on my own, I can't do it my way. And I have the company of uh, other men. And to uh, have uh, be in a place where uh, you know, not around the world, people in the world's way, basically, being around like minded people that have been uh, stronger in my faith and, 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 and change from reaching for destruction into uh, doing better, you know, searching for the uh, eternal answer. There you go. Life. Yep. Community. Community. I love it. That's honest, by the way. So you're saying you screwed some things up? Okay. All right. It's the Ben translation. All right, let's take one more. How, how did you get here? Former church I went to just had a thing there called Deer Camp. Men's adventure mm. kind of stuff. And some men just kept encouraging me to just come, just come and listen. And what I'm going to do is this mask was on. I'd been ashamed of all my life. And showed up the first time on a Wednesday night. And I still remember the guy that was, had a big screen TV in there and was putting up. He said, Let me tell you my story. I was arrested for. Child pornography. Well, hell, y'all are going to tell some stories. <laughs> <laughs> and they kept saying, We well, need to come to Deer Camp. You need to come to Deer Camp. Mm -hmm. And finally said, Okay, I'll go. But there's no way in hell I'm sharing my story. 
something about being around those other men, small group of men, and starting to listen to them telling their stories. I have no idea what happened, but I opened up my mouth and started talking. And from that, it was just, it's been more and more free every day. And uh, these characters right here, they sort of help walk me through it, and it's just, it's amazing how did I get here through other men that did not give up <clears throat> politely and tactfully pushing, encouraging, saying, Oh no, just take a look, see what we got going with you. Beautifully said. Still not there yet, either. Yes. Sure. Awesome. Somebody over here, I don't want to skip. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Don't miss what's been done here. It was my job to fill the space with words, to instruct you. All those things are very holy goals. I stepped back and gave you a voice and you took it. Now, it doesn't mean if you didn't speak up that there's something wrong with you, but I would ask you to dig into that a little bit. What's my fear around that? A little bit more Bible, Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purposes of God that prevail. I want to ask you to return to these questions and wrestle with these questions. Not just today, as your life travels on, okay? So there was this day where Jesus was pulled into a pretty sticky situation, where the crowd that was around him was a very divided crowd. They were basically opposites, and this happened a lot because the outcast was attracted to Jesus and the religious were repulsed by Jesus. That's something we forgot in the Western church. The, re the religious are attracted and the outcast, they don't have anything to do with Jesus. Jesus hasn't changed, that's our fault. But this day, the outcasts were moving in to try to hear more from Jesus, to see what kind of person he was. They were attracted to him and the religious were repulsed because God was going against the way their religion had been set up. They believed that they were right, catch this statement. They believed they were right, so they missed Jesus. <clears throat> That's just for all of us Baptists that are gathered here today. Right? <laughs> so he launches into these stories about lost things. And he tells a few back to back, and in some people's opinion, they escalate in value, but he gets to this last final story, and it, it is a well-practiced story, but I want to convince you this morning that we could study this until the world ends and we won't see the depth of what Jesus communicated in this one story. So many people have interpreted this. Henry Now and one of my mentors sat in front of a painting for weeks and wrote a book about it. We can't find the bottom. And this is something I respect about Jesus so much. And it's something that takes me off so much when people in the pulpit just thin Jesus out to a political agenda. Get out of here with that. Jesus was reaching into the depths of people's hearts when he was telling this story, it was a beautiful, beautiful teacher, okay? And he addresses this crowd and he meets the needs of both of these types of people in this crowd. Setting, am I setting the stage okay? 
All right, I just want to read this story for you because I've just fallen under this belief lately. Like, why am I going to take something that Jesus said and then try to say it better? That feels a little foolish, doesn't it? Feels a little pastoral. So before I start with this, so I, w- I want to tell you that Jesus launches into this story in a way that was very Jewish. He uses this sentence. He says, there was a man that had two sons. Now, if you're a Jew and you hear that sentence, what are you thinking? Who gets, who gets the money? Uh, two sons. This is going to get interesting. Now, if you were a religious Jew, what did you think? I remember the story of a man that had two sons. That's our origin story. Adam had two sons. What's, what's this rabbi about to teach about the original story? So thankful to the Deer Camp community for forcing me to look at this original story. So this is how Jesus starts out. And you better believe that he's prepping the people there for a story of rebellion. But not only that, a story of what God's love is like inside of rebellion. What he was saying to the people in the crowd is, both of you types of people, you've missed it for very different reasons. But I'm about to tell you a story. Okay, you ready for the story? There once was a man who had two sons. These are Jesus' words, by the way, recorded in the Bible. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. Wow. Have you ever have you ever said that to God, not realizing what you were asking? So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. The geography fix. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he'd gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to feel it. He signed on with the citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would offer any to him. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my dad, they sit down for three square a day. Here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my dad. I'll say to him, dad, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son, victim, victim, victim. Take me to be a hired hand. He got right up and he went home to his dad. Famous line in this story. When he was still a long way off, his dad saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out. He embraced him. He kissed him. The son started his speech. Dad, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the dad wasn't listening. He was calling to his servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes to dress my son. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals back on his feet. Get the prize-winning heifer and roast it. We're going to have a celebration, a wonderful time. My son is back, given up for dead, but now he's standing in front of me alive. Given up for lost, now he's found. And they begin to have an incredible time. At this time, the older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. Calling over to one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. The houseboy told him, your brother's back home. 
Your father's ordered a feast. We're having barbecued beef. Because your dad has him home, safe and sound. The older brother stomped off in an angry sulk. He refused to join him. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look, how many years have I stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but you've thrown a party not for me and my friends. Then this son of yours who's thrown away your money on whores shows up and you go all out. The dad looks at the older and says, son, you don't get it. You're with me all the time. Everything that's mine is yours. This is an incredible time. And we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's been found. What a story. So I want you just to be aware to pay attention as you listen to this story. Told as Jesus told it. Where did you connect? Where did you connect? We're going to kind of rein this in because we're running out of time today. That's unfortunate, isn't it? The father meets one son after leaving. He meets him in his rebellion. The other son, he meets him in the middle of his religious duty. Both are extremely poor substitutes for relationships. This is a phrase that I was taught, an equation I was taught inside of the Deer Camp community. Rules without relationship is going to equal rebellion. You may want to jot that down. I want you to think about how you were fathered and how you are fathering, no matter the age of your children. This father was committed to relationship to both sons. And I want to communicate to you today in all of your relationships, the larger burden of relationship is on you. You are the man. Accept that responsibility. It was the sons who missed it. The father did not. We know how easy it is to miss relationship, to only see rules and restrictions. The original couple fell into that trap. A few questions just to get you thinking about this story before you go about your day today. What if the father had refused to meet the son? What if the father had waited for the son to arrive but wasn't looking for him? What if the older brother had gotten to the younger brother first? That sounds like a very southern scenario. <laughs> Every one of us, to a man, knows the feeling that's created when we've hoped our father would be looking for us but he wasn't. What if the older brother was allowed to pout, to stew in his anger, and he was never noticed by his father? What if the father never reminded the older brother that everything he had was also his? These are great questions. We don't have the exact answer to these because they didn't happen in the parable. But here's one thing we can all agree on based on these questions. If any of these things had happened, then both sons would have been crushed. 
It's a word we don't like to use as men, but the Bible uses it a lot. Let me speed through some of this. We must choose not to crush our children. Jesus telling the story was explaining what God is like in religion and rebellion. Just a couple of verses and we'll get to this graph. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I love Eugene Peterson. He says it this way. Parents, don't come down too hard on your kids or you'll crush their spirits. And to get out of the realm of children and think about grown men, Proverbs 18, 14, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. I find it interesting that we don't stop by the hospital or send cards for crushed spirits. Proverbs 15, 13, a glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. That's why the enemy has convinced you to ignore that big part of you. Stay crushed, the enemy says. We must not crush our children. All right, let's investigate this graphic quickly, and then I've got a scene I want to show you before we leave today for us to talk about. I believe this may be the hinge on the door of your heart in understanding what having a father is like and what you were longing for that you can't figure out why that's driving you so much. What does your paycheck have to do with your relationship with your dad? I don't know, but it feels connected, doesn't it? Why does it wound a man so deeply if his father refuses to look for him and validate him and initiate him? Why do we have a phrase called the father wound? It's deep, isn't it? When we feel out of relationship, especially with those who have raised us, especially with the men that were supposed to have raised us, especially if those men were absent, then we often respond in one of two ways. We either become very religious or we rebel. Often it's the first half of life where we rebel. We realize that's not working. Feel a lot of guilt and shame, and then we run to religion to fix it. Then unfortunately, we have to pretend like it's fixed until that first Sunday school class. Rebellion, religion. I believe Jesus telling this story was trying to convince us there's a relationship window and that's where God meets us. Religion isn't the fix. First Baptist religion isn't the fix. First Methodist religion isn't the fix. Am I making sense to anybody? This is kind of the intelligent way to pick on the church. I'm trying to teach wrong. <laughs> religion isn't the fix. How do we get out of our religious state? We understand we can't earn the love of God. You presenting perfection to me doesn't make God more proud of you. You failing miserably doesn't make God less proud of you. That should be freeing words. Are they? Religion is no fix. How do you get out of religion? You understand grace. You refuse to believe that the transaction between you and God is performance-based acceptance. We have so many men trapped at 17 and 18, believing if they can just get the letter on their jacket or the championship ring, and we just trade it for other things, a beautiful wife and a big house and a big salary, then maybe everybody will be happy with us and we can settle this crap down. It just never works that way, does it? It's kind of freeing to have somebody say that out loud in front of you, isn't it? 
I know that. I've tried it. I've tried it. We understand that grace is the major thing over our story. It's in the book True Face, actually, if you want to read it. It's quick, 130 pages. That's how we get out of religion. How do we get out of rebellion? Truth. Jesus tells in this story, you know, there were consequences for this son. And he came to his senses. And he made the decision to turn. For all of you consequence blockers, stop. Stop. The consequences of our sin were not blocked, they were transferred. When we understand that, we've got some stuff figured out. What I find interesting is that we reverse this. How do we handle people in rebellion? Well, if we can just offer them enough grace, they'll move into that relationship window. What do we do when we get together as a bunch of religious folks? We just shout about the truth. Only thing we're doing there is pushing people further and further and further into the poor substitutes for relationship. Everyone knows how difficult it is when you're sitting with a man at, at a restaurant and he says something and you're across on the other side of that table and you're thinking, dude, how do you not see this? You ever been in that scenario? Is that just me? So what do you do after that? Why do we have so much trouble telling our brothers the truth? Well, we kind of bought the lie. Let me just exercise a little grace here. I kind of feel bad I didn't pay for this man's pancakes. I definitely don't want to tell him the truth. You're dropping the ball, dude. That would change things inside of Primo's today, wouldn't it? It's so difficult because we've got it reversed. And when people are in the middle of rebellion, we don't want to tell them the truth. When people are in the middle of their religion, we don't want to tell them, man, you're not earning anything by being a deacon the seventh cycle in a row. Where's your heart, man? Where's your heart? That's what I want to know. I don't care what your pastor says about you. What do your sons say about you? That's what I want to know. Looks to me, dude, like you're trying to earn it. What are you trying to earn? If you ever just want to have one meal, one cup of coffee, I do that a lot. That's how you handle those situations. Start doing these things. All right, does this graph make sense to you? Or right, we're running short on time. Some people, they aren't graph people, all right? This is like, this doesn't make any sense to them. I get that. I want you to see it. I want you to visually take it in. We've got about a five-minute clip, and I'm going to ask some questions. We'll be on our way. You guys okay? All right, let's check this out. He's a beauty. Sure is. Why don't you climb up on him? It's all right. He blowed his wind. He ain't got so much oomph no more. I can't ride him. Maybe a smaller one. Or one that's a little older. What kind of Indian are you? You can't ride a horse? Exactly how long you been alone with them women? Long enough to forget who you are. Come on, get on it. I'll hold him. All right, 
might take him around the fence. You the boss of that animal, son, or is he the boss of you? There you go. There you go. Don't be kicking him too much. That just nettles him. Squeeze him with your legs. Good. There you go. No more rules for you, cowboy. Hey, Mom! on him now. Grab him by that jaw rope and climb back on top of him. I don't want to. If you don't, he ain't ever gonna respect you. Worse than that, you ain't ever gonna respect yourself. Now go on. Get back up there and this time, keep him under you. so we don't unload you. Haul him back, boy. Stay on him. Oh. <coughs> Come on, get up. No.
crazy boy. Everything you need to know about your masculine journey, everything you need to investigate about your masculine journey, you just witnessed over five minutes. It's a Netflix series original called Godless. That's episode three, about 36 minutes in, if you want to watch it again. Where did that scene take you? Who did you identify with most, the man or the boy? What did you notice? How did God use that clip to speak to your heart? What felt different about watching that than watching other things? Next two minutes, let me just give you some things to think about, okay? Okay? Do that. Get inside the fence. Challenge those around you with a calm authority. Care enough to flap your hat to get the horse moving, to challenge those who are coming after you. Go first. Get the horse ready for the challenge so your children can benefit from the correct amount of monitored risk. Don't just send them to school, to church, to travel sports, and their iPhone to be fathered. You do it. But you don't understand, Ben. I don't know how to ride a horse. Learn how to ride a horse. The people coming after you are depending on it. If you don't, who will teach them? Know that there is a time in your story where you must, without using words, raise your hand to the world of women who are outside the fence and let them know it's dangerous in here. I'm in settled control and I'm validating those around me. You stay there. Also know when that moment is over to look back to the world of women and say we're in this together. Make sense? Let that clip haunt you today, gentlemen. Let's pray together. God, this morning you've met with us through song, through movie, through story. You've ministered to us, God. I'm so grateful. I just want to say thank you for the reprieve from our daily existence, from the grind, from trying to be you over our own stories. As we exit this room, God, I just want to pray for a supernatural provision, validation, initiation, that you would convince us that you're with us just like all the other failures that have come before us. Convince us as we walk out of these doors into our stories that we are chosen, we are loved, we're sought after. As we seek to choose religion or rebellion, God, force us into relationship. 
Thank you, God, for being in the fence with us, even when we look at you through our hatred and anger and blame and say no. Thank you for being that kind of God for us. Amen. All right, gentlemen, get out.